0: Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity on Sundays to carry on sitting under the truth and the power of your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us minds and hearts and the ability, with all the distractions of our surroundings and whatever else is going on in our homes or in the building here, to really, really listen to listen hard and to listen with love to the voice of Jesus who speaks from his word into the very heart of our lives and in a way that week by week reminds us that there is sovereign spiritual activity going on to make these words so relevant to whatever our situation is. And we pray, therefore now, for that voice to ring out clearly and lovingly from Jesus, to lift up our souls, to bless and encourage, to challenge and exhort, and to honor his precious and holy name. For his sake we pray and in his name. Amen. Now for a second week, we consider these very strong verses in Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verses 42 to 50. Jesus' subject is sin and how serious it is. Sin is all-pervasive, it affects everything in our lives, and it comes from within, our sinful nature, our sinful soul. Sin is fundamental to who we are as humans, we are born sinful. Sin is serious in another respect, sin sends us to hell, to the eternal, un quenchable fire of hell. Of the twelve direct references to hell or passages of hell in the New Testament, eleven are from Jesus himself. Who will not go to hell? Those whose sin has been dealt with. Those the Bible calls the righteous, their eternity is in heaven. The glory of the new creation, who will go to hell. The unrighteous, those whose sin has not been dealt with, their eternity is an eternal living hell. And that is how humanity divides. Those who are in God's sight declared by God to be righteous, whose eternity is heaven, and on the other side, those who are in God's sight unrighteous, whose eternity is hell. That is how humanity divides. Now, let me press pause. And really in response to dialogue and questions and comments that some of you have shared, Let me ask you. Are you in God's sight righteous and destined for an eternity in heaven? Or are you in God's sight unrighteous destined for an eternity in hell? Now that is an important question. It is a pressing question. Question. It is an urgent question. Now, listen to the answer. The answer from Jesus, the answer from the whole Bible. Every human being is in God's sight unrighteous and destined for an eternity in hell. Every human being needs to come to terms with that and there are many people who do not come to terms with that fact and they live their lives in the hope that God in the end will declare them righteous because they have tried in all sincerity and with all genuineness, they have tried to live a good life. There's a lady who's been in my mind over the past week. She died a number of years ago. And as we met together and spoke together in the months before her death, there were two things she said to me again and again. The first was, I am frightened. And the second, I have done my best. Now, what do you say to someone like that? Do you say, and all your human instincts are to say, well, nothing. Or if you do say something, are you not wanting to say, God knows you've done your best God loves you, do not be afraid. Or do you say what God's word says? God knows you have done your best. I think sometimes as Christians we we wrongly rubbish or dismiss people's efforts. God knows. You've done your best, but that can't save you. It can't even contribute to your salvation. Because you, like me, like all humanity, fall so far short of the perfect righteousness, that I as a holy God require of you to save you from hell and bring you to heaven." That's what Jesus says. Every human being is in God's side unrighteous, destined for an eternity in hell. and we need to come to terms with that fact that realization is necessary it is to come under conviction the conviction of the holy spirit that is sinful humanity we are destined for an eternity in hell what does it mean when someone comes under conviction? They become convinced of that truth. Why would God, by His Spirit, so convict as He is with some of you to bring you to that necessary realization? And to cause you to look for an answer to the problem of sin beyond yourself to Jesus, to the eternal Son of God, to the only perfectly righteous man who ever lives. God convicts you by His Spirit that you might sing these words that we sang, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. You know, you could sing that hymn in two different ways. You can sing it reflecting on the poetry and the words and the tune, or you can sing it with a deep, deep conviction that I do stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, undone by his mercy and rescued from an eternal living hell and brought to eternal life in heaven rescued from an eternal living hell and brought to eternal life in heaven because Jesus Christ went to hell on the cross for me. For you. That's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit Is for, not so that you can be humbled and left in that mode of repentance and contrition and fear even, but so that you will sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. And with that comes peace and assurance. Not freedom from the myriad of anxieties that beset our souls. Not freedom from the reaction that I certainly feel and you might share with me to the news every day. But the deep, deep, deep assurance that even death has been if I can put it like this, fatally wounded for the Christian. That woman, and I can picture her in my mind now, her repeated words, I am frightened, I am frightened. That was not the fear of dying. It was uh, perhaps a subconscious uh, abject, a terror of the soul because she was not at peace with her God. Every human being Every human being is in God's sight unrighteous and destined for an eternity in hell and needs to come to terms with that. You know, there is a big difference between somebody needing to come to terms with that and, on the other hand, somebody who understands and will not come to terms with that. What I mean by will not is confusion or uncertainty about what God's Word says. No, there's no confusion or uncertainty. It is rather a refusal to accept what God's Word says. A self-righteous attitude that refuses to accept that I will never be good enough. A refusal that can be so strong that it resists the promptings, the conviction of the Spirit of God. Reason comes close to persuading you, but at the last it falls on deaf ears. But the conviction of the Spirit of God is powerful. Persistent, persuasive, unreasonable, loving. Why do you keep refusing him? Give in to Jesus before it is all too late and life on this earth is taken from you And your destiny is an eternal, living hell. Every human being in God's sight is unrighteous. There are many who do not come to terms with that fact, and there are many, tragically, who will not come to terms with that fact. Yet, wonderfully, there are many who do, and in repentance, turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and are declared righteous by God. And that is who a Christian is, someone who, in repentance, has turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and is declared righteous by God. I was uh, uh, mentioning earlier, we put up a couple of new videos about what church life is here. and I hope these are, are persuasive and attractive, and, and, and uh, um, I hope I come across as, uh, as um, I don't know what I hope I come across as, but what you saw in that video in me is a forgiven sinner. That's all I am. And what this church family is, It's full of people who have come to terms with the fact that without Jesus, that is their eternal destiny. And when people come to faith in Jesus and they come together in a church family in thanksgiving for what God has done to them, they stand in this room, and I can picture them in my mind now, singing these words. People are saying to me how much they miss singing. I stand amazed in the presence of Of Jesus the Nazarene. And that singing is from the heart, and it's standing beside people who sing the same thing. And that heartfelt response to Jesus issues across a church family in love and care. So you're never alone. Never alone. The church family is full of forgiven sinners and people who are kind of on that road to getting there and people who are not yet Christians. Now, much of that in response to your questions and comments. What I want to do this morning, and we'll see how far we get and if needs be, to have one more week on this subject. What I want to do this morning is come back to these verses in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, 42 to 50, and think about what they have to teach us as Christians about sin. In particular, how we should think about sin in our life as Christians, and what we should do about it. It's exactly what Scott was saying on both sides. That's what Mark intends in chapter 9, verses 42 to 50, because he includes these verses in a section of his gospel which explains what the Christian life is like. What it looks like practically to live as a follower of Jesus. And Mark's point is that as Christians, We need to take sin seriously in our lives as Christians. Now, our sin is forgiven. Our past sin. Our present sin. Our future sin. We have, as Christians, been declared righteous by God. But we are not yet free from the presence of sin in our lives. Every Christian will testify to that fact. Sin is still there. And we ought to take it seriously and deal with it. So listen to these words from Mark nine forty-two to 50. As a Christian, if your hand, in other words, what you do, Causes you to sin, cut it off. The metaphor is deal with it seriously. If your foot, where you go, causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye, what you look at, causes you to sin, tear it out. We might add the tongue, or any other part of the body. Where we go, what we do, what we look at, there is to be, from the Lord Jesus to his followers, to his disciples, no casualness, no indifference in the Christian life to sin. It is to be taken seriously and dealt with. Now, pause again, listen. This is very, very important. There are so many potential wrong turnings on this subject the Christian. And you've got to mark your card with this and remind yourself of this, for we become religious all too easily. The Christian does not deal with sin or battle with sin, and it is a battle. The Christian does not deal with sin or battle with sin in their life in order to be declared righteous by God. The Christian is spontaneously, because of the Spirit indwelling them, committed, we cannot help it, committed to dealing with sin in our lives because we have been declared righteous by God. And we want to grow to be more like Jesus. Let me say this, though. If you consider yourself to be a Christian and you are not consciously battling with sin, seeking to deal with stuff in your life that you know is not right, that is displeasing to God, if you are not consciously battling with sin, seeking to grow as a Christian, to be more like Jesus, then you need to ask a very important question, am I really a Christian, because what God creates in us when we become a Christian is not a sinless Christian, nor a Christian that is indifferent to sin, but a sin fighter, someone whose life as a Christian is marked by battling with sin. two more dangerous sidings we must not go down. We are not talking about failing. Often. We're not talking about spells of indifference. Even many months of indifference. We're not talking about doing something that we know is wrong for a long period of time. We are talking about someone who professes to be a Christian but is habitually indifferent rather than committed. Or as I say what I have said in the last few minutes, you will be feeling, if you are a Christian like I am feeling, I wish, Lord Jesus that you would give me the power to deal with this sin that entangles my life. That is a sure sign of the Holy Spirit living within you. Someone who professes to be a Christian, though, but is unmoved, whose conscience does not alert them, but is habitually indifferent rather than committed, who is casual and not serious, who is drifting, not growing, you need to be asking that serious question, am I really a Christian? Now, again, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you to ask that question, that is not a bleak thing or a harsh thing. What a wonderful thing it will be if the Holy Spirit wakes some of us up to say, I'm not a Christian, and we become one. Now, why does dealing with sin matter in the Christian life? Here's a list of reasons to ponder. Uh, They're based on a series of sermons by a man called John MacArthur. I found his material on this hugely helpful over these past weeks. Firstly, uh, our sin matters with respect to God. Listen to this. Everyone has a biblical reference and a biblical basis. Our sin grieves God. Our sin dishonors God, our sin as Christians, abuses his mercy, despises his grace, presumes on his forgiveness, brings his discipline, defiles our worship. One of my regrets personally in life, and there's nothing wrong with a conviction and a spirit of repentance, is I wish when I sing, my heart was more in tune and my mind was more in tune with the tune that comes out of my mouth. Our sin with respect to God, our sin with respect to others, our sin matters with respect to others. It turns unbelievers away from Jesus. It mitigates against our desire and effectiveness in evangelism, how true that is. It doesn't set an example to other believers. It leads to a lack of love for other believers. It leads to a critical spirit and the discouragement of others. It undermines the unity of the church. Press pause, at which point the devil says, just give up now and chuck in the towel please don't do that. There's joy and love and blessing. Now, in these verses in Mark, uh, he highlights, uh, Jesus highlights two aspects of the seriousness of sin with respect to others. Verse 42, just look at that. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Who are the little ones? Most likely, Mark is referring back to the last of all mentioned in the previous episode that we are to serve in the church. Mark may also be referring to new converts or immature believers, and it's striking how our sin causes others to sin. What is, let me illustrate it really practically, what is unwholesome talk? If you are a father… What does unwholesome talk from your lips lead to round the dinner table? Answer, unwholesome talk from others. There is a suggestion here in Mark two of moral corruption, deviant practice leading these new converts astray. It is a stark warning from the Lord Jesus. And then notice right at the end of the passage, Jesus says, verse 50b, be at peace with one another. And here Mark is picking up on teaching in the preceding section about rivalry, putting others down, not valuing simple acts of service. All of these bring disunity, and the root of disunity in a church is sin. Taking sin seriously results in being at peace with one another. And then what uh, moved me in particular, and at times I think it's okay to be individualistic in our faith. We often uh, caution against that and be corporate. But sin in my life that is not dealt with and sin in your life that is not dealt with, what does it do with respect to ourselves? Listen to John MacArthur's list. Of course, these are not hypothetical lists, are they? Our sin steals our joy. Our sin robs us of peace and assurance. Our sin hinders our fellowship with God. Our sin stops us speaking to God. Our sin diminishes our fruitfulness. Our sin renders our service less useful. Our sin hinders our progress in the Christian life. Our sin robs us of purpose and contentment. Now, if that had been my list, I would have gone for the bottom four. Fruitfulness, less useful, lack of progress, less purpose. But the top two Have really moved my heart. My sin steals my joy. My sin robs me of peace and assurance. Now, as we uh, wind to a close today, what do we mean by sin in the Christian life? What does it include? What does it encompass? Now, there are obvious sins, and I was to say to you, what are the sins that we need to deal with in our lives as Christians or as a church family? There's the obvious stuff, like sexual immorality, when as Christians we are called to live holy lives. The New Testament, has a lot to say about that, and we need to take it seriously. This is a battle many Christians face of all ages, men and women, or idolatry, or greed, When as Christians, we are called to live lives of devoted sacrificial service to God and to others. Obvious sins. What about respectable sins? There's a brilliant book by a man called Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. It's a wonderful book. I'd encourage you to to read it. Um, The phrase respectable sins uh, or acceptable sins are those we tend to tolerate. Such as jealousy. Anger or pride or unthankfulness or judgmentalism or a lack of love for people or envy or materialism or vanity. And then thirdly, there is stuff we might not think is sin at all. Now, before I give you these three examples, I'm going to you know me, if you're in the church family, I, am a, 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 I hope you know that I love you and I hope that you know that in the battles and struggles you face, whether physically or, or mentally, that there is no lightness, no triteness in what I'm about to say. But there is stuff in our life that we do not think of sin that is sin in my life. Things like anxiety. God did not make us To be anxious and to doubt Him. Discontentment. Doubting God's promises. Now, believe me, I'm not in any way being glib about this. I am speaking as a forgiven sinner who has been declared righteous by God. Heaven, not hell, is my eternal home. I am certain of that, 100% certain of these wonderful things, but I find myself under real conviction of sin as a Christian, and I know that many of you do as well, not because there is something that would cause a scandal if it were known. The scandal is just not being serious. And for my part, at least, the recognition that things I would not regard as sin are sin. Like drivenness. Like giving up in my life on the battle for joy. Now, our time is done. Here's the practical question. How do I deal with sin in my life as a Christian? What do I do? How do I approach this whole area? How do I engage in the battle biblically? What resources do I have? And this is not easy or simple to get our heads around. It will take time. One more week on this theme. And please know from my heart that I am deeply, deeply conscious of not wanting in any way to indulge a theme that is not right. But I do want us to be able to understand really clearly understand from the Bible how it is we deal with sin in our lives as Christians. We need to be able to understand the passage that Adam read or Colossians 3 or Ephesians 6. And we'll see next week and then we're done on this subject. Or... We're back into the track in Mark's gospel that will go on pointing us to Jesus. Let me just fly this kite for you. This is what we are looking at. Here's how we will deal with sin. Number one, by understanding who we are as Christians, by really understanding that righteousness is not only our status, but is part of our inner being now. Second, by using the spiritual resources God has given us. Now, you know what they are, the Bible and prayer. But I want us to think about the Bible not in the way that we often do, not about teaching it, But listening to it, really listening to it, the Bible prayer and the other resource that we are perhaps sensing very powerfully at this time, and that is one another, the church. It's exactly what Scott was saying. Craig needs Doug. God has given them to each other in the battle with sin. Understanding who we are, using the resources God has given us, and with all my energy and efforts, I'm desperate next week to make point three, as long as points one and two. Point three is enlarging our affections for Jesus. So I love him so much that that love and His presence is more powerful than the temptation and the desire to sin. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that we would not in any way be indulgent on this theme and forgive us if we are. And help us, Lord Jesus, over one more week. Really to understand how it is that we deal with sin in our lives as Christians. And help us, Lord Jesus, not simply to focus on the obvious sins, but the respectable ones and the stuff like anxiety and drivenness and joylessness. Lord, help us to find joy and fellowship with Jesus. And may our love for him be so strong and powerful and Overwhelming that our affections for him are more powerful than the temptations to sin. Help us, Lord Jesus. We need you every hour of every day, and we pray these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. Well, let's uh, sing together as we finish today uh, one of Wesley's great hymns, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in the Saviour's Blood. Most of the verses in this hymn are about us being declared righteous through Jesus' death. Verse 4 is about dealing with sin in the Christian life. But we must never forget that before we battle sin, Jesus Christ forgave our sin. Let's sit or stand or whatever and sing these words or just reflect on them together. And can it be that I should gain?